This morning, we continue in our journey through the Ten Commandments. And we're in the third commandment today. I'll be reading God's scripture for us that includes the whole of that experience. But I, this particular one I've been fascinated by because in it I've been studying the whole nature of name. And the more you look at the concept of name, the more you realize it's spread throughout all of scripture to the point that I want to invite you to 30 days of praying the names and the attributes of God. So I have printed for you a chart that's right outside the door. You can pick one up, one per family. If you need more, let me know. We'll print them. Each day is a different attribute of God and a different name for God because God makes himself known to us and gives us his name that is above every name. So take one of those along with you. Listen as I read for us today God's commands. God's directions homeward from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Then the Lord spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquities of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God richly add his blessing to our hearing and our living in response to these directions homeward. Let us pray. Father, let your good news come now and find us not only in word but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, and 
You are our salvation. And so we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In this command, God reveals who he is and who he is not. Names used to have something to do with our vocation, particularly your last name. It said something about what you did for a living. A cooper was someone who made barrels. A coaxmire, believe it or not, was a cook who had been freed and had acquired some land. But really, who our, our name, what our name is tells us who we are. Jacob had his name changed to Israel, meaning from one who substitutes or supplants or deceives to meaning one who wrestles with God. And that is who we are. When God commands that his name not be wrongly used, God is doing far more than demanding respect. He's not wagging his finger and saying, you better be good to me and you better not say bad things about me. No. To the contrary. God is giving instruction, loving instruction, caring instruction in how we are to be in right relationship with himself. And it is by knowing the significance of how God has identified himself through his name that we are able to have that right relationship. Think about it. He sent his son, Jesus, to be that bridge into salvation. And what does Jesus mean? Salvation. He will save his people. That's God's greatest desire for us. God's greatest desire is that we would know him and love him and receive what God knows God alone can give to us. And that is redemption from being lost and far away from where we need to be. It is why we have these directions homeward. This is why God said this. Not to fence us in, but to draw us to himself. This command is a call, then, to truly and deeply adore. Adore and love God, because God first loved us and gave us his Son as the one and once and for all atoning sacrifice to make us one with himself. By these very words God is saying, by revealing his name, he's saying, I am the one and only God and I am the only one who can save. Sometimes we'll hear people in culture say, well, everywhere leads home because it doesn't really matter which God you believe in and rather than criticizing that mentality we have to stop and say but what did God say about himself God did not say I'm all these different ways I am the one way so this is a command that calls us not to forget or waste or ignore or abuse who God is and who God wants us to be and wants us in relationship with himself now, throughout scriptures, I've, I've mentioned, God tells us who he is, what his name is, what his attributes are, so that we would know God 
and not take God for granted and take for granted that only God is God and only God is able to give us new life. And God shows us that he is holy. That is, he's completely separate from us and not dependent upon us. And yet God invites us to know him intimately as Abba, Papa, Father, the one into whose lap we climb up, if I can be so basic as that, and to say, I need you. And God says, I know. I know. That's why I created you, with that vacuum inside you that only I can fill. God did this so much so, and so personally, and so intimately, that he came in person to proclaim this, to say, I love you. I want you. I'm here. Touch me. This is what is meant in our call to worship that we just read that says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Because ultimately, ultimately, every life will realize there is no salvation on heaven, in heaven or on earth or anywhere else other than in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus so often described himself actually the way God did when he revealed himself to Moses. What did Moses ask? He says, who am I to say sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. Now this is what's interesting. Throughout the New Testament, anytime Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, he says in the original language, I am that I am. He's proclaiming himself to be God. I am that I am all these things. I am God. To know the names then for God and for God's attributes is how we begin to realize God's name is not to be taken for granted. Remember in, in Chronicles, God says, if my people who are called by my name, oh good, will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. God wants us to know him and wants us to know that when we are called by his name and living by that identity as his people, we will know healing and hope. Not swearing by God's name is not just some sort of superstition, kind of like, oh, I better not say that, otherwise a lightning bolt might hit me. <laughs> you know, I was in the motorcycle business for 10 years, and, and there was a lot of times God was mentioned in the service department. <laughs> Generally, it had to do when a wrench slipped and somebody's knuckle got smashed. In fact, Jesus got mentioned a lot there, too. And people, would, guys would say, oh, oh, sorry, preacher. They called me preacher in the motorcycle business. So, sorry, preacher, I didn't mean, I, I said, you know, I've heard that before. I just wanted to know if you knew him, if you were asking him to heal you, or if you were just angry about your knuckle being smashed. Not cursing by God's name is more than just some sort of superstition. It's realizing that it's not a name to be thrown around because there is one name that will save us. Money is not the name of God. Sex is not the name of God. 
Power is not the name of God. Allah is not the name of God. I need you to know that, all right? From a very rational standpoint, they are not interchangeable. Allah and Yahweh are not interchangeable names. You know why? Because God is not contained by some human definition or something that some person made up. We do not use God's name in vain because God has shown us that his name is above everything we could ever imagine. Think about this that I read this week. Human beings name the animals. Wasn't that a cool thing that Adam got to do? God said, you can name that whatever you want. Rhinoceros. <laughs> Hippopotamus. But we do not give names to God. Rather, the Lord names himself as a manifestation of his transcendence. I name myself because I'm beyond you. You can name the rhinoceros because it's right here with you. I'm beyond you. I name myself. I identify myself. Again, the name is to be able to proclaim one's actual identity. God says, you may know what the rhinoceros is, but only I know who I am. I tell you who I am. You know me because I tell you. The Lord revealed his covenant name, Yahweh, the unpronounceable name, at the burning bush. Moses did not come up with that on his own. He did not go, well, I better, get down. I better come up with a name. I'm going down the hill, and they're going to want to know who. He didn't come up with that. No. God also exercises his sovereign right not to reveal his name to everyone who asks for it. Scholars believe this is because God knows some people might use his holy name. We see that in the New Testament. People wanted to buy the right to have godly power. And God knew, no, that's a misuse of my name. Of course, some biblical figures seem to give names to the Creator. For instance, Hagar called the Lord a God of seeing from the song El Shaddai. You are the God who really sees. Yet even with Hagar, this naming is a response to revelation. She says you are the God who sees because she sees that only God could have done what was done. She only recognized the name God implicitly gave himself when what? He intervened for her. We don't come up with those names. But we live in a pluralistic society that wants to make God in its own image. Therefore, we must never forget that we do not name God. God names himself. Only through standing firm upon God's own self-revelation, which is Scripture, and calling upon God as he revealed himself, can we guard the faith once delivered to us. That's why Scripture is so important. We live in a pluralistic world that says it doesn't matter what you believe. It does matter. And God proclaims himself to us so that we will know. Here's a vivid example of why God does not want his name used wrongly. God does not want his gift of relationship wasted. God, God knows if we blithely throw off his name, we're wasting that relationship. Oh, I could be related to anything. Money, sex, power, television, whatever. But God says, no, don't waste my name. 
because my name alone gives you hope. He is not to be treated like we could tame him, as C.S. Lewis pointed out in the Chronicles of Narnia, saying, you know, he, he's good, but he's not tame. But we try to do this. We try to tame God. We try to give God names like buddy, friend, pal. And, and profoundly, God does let himself be known in that way. But more than that, we try to do this and it results in foolishness and it results in imprisonment and death because it causes us to want and seek so much less than who God really is. Because we, again, are trying to put God on our level, creating him in our own image, and we end up with so much less than what God calls for. We try to put God at our face value. Listen, here's something that happened. It gives a great example. 2012, a 19-year-old young man from Washington State, his name was Dakota Green, was charged with stealing a rare coin collection that was worth at least $100,000. Now, after he had completed some part-time work for a woman living north of Portland, Oregon, the woman reported that her family coin collection was missing. He'd snuck in and had stolen it. Her collection included a variety of rare and valuable coins, including Liberty Head quarters, Morgan dollars, and other coins dating back to the early 1800s. Ron, you would have had a field day with this. Now, initially, he denied any involvement, claiming that the police didn't have any evidence against him for taking this collection. <laughs> this is crazy. But then he started spending the coins at face value, apparently unaware of their worth. He and his girlfriend paid for movie tickets using quarters worth between $5 and $5 and $68 per coin. You know, some of these coins are worth, one quarter is worth 68 bucks. Later on, the same day, they bought some pizza with rare coins, including a Liberty Head quarter that was worth $18,500. Now, we're laughing. The news reported... He has been charged with first-degree theft and is being held in jail on $40,000 bond, which technically is an amount he could have easily afforded if he had sold the coin collection for what it was really worth. Are you with me? You know, we call God so many things, or we don't call him anything at all, or we use his name as some sort of a curse, blithely throwing away something that we think is only a quarter when it is the treasure of eternity. God does not want who he has shown us to be particularly in the life and death and resurrection of his own son to be wasted or used at the world's definition of value. Don't call that a quarter. Don't call that a dollar, he says. You can't even put a value on what you've been given. The name of Jesus has become, as I've said, a swear word that gets thrown around instead of cherished as our means of release and salvation. God never intended this and doesn't want this for us. God wants us to be deeply in love with his name so that we are fully aware of what God has done for us. Think about it. 
Jesus said, ask whatever you will in my name, and it will be done for you. Is that a magic incantation? Oh, good. A la peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> no. He's saying, when you know my name, you will know my will, and when you know my will, you will ask for it, and guess what? It will be given to you, and you will be more than complete. Albert Moeller put it so well when he wrote, we can now see that the name of God is no small matter. That's really important for us. The name of God, the identity of God, who God is, is no small thing. That's why God came in person, fully God, fully human. The deity, Moeller writes, that we name is the God we believe in. The deity we name is the God we believe in. Money, power, politics, position, huh? Yeah, that's not a deity. Christians believe in only one God, and he is the Father who sent the Son to save us from our sins. He takes his name with great seriousness, and therefore we must do the same. Thankfully, we are not left in the dark, groping for adequate language. God has revealed his names to us so that we can rightly know him, and that's why I want us to pray 30 days as a beginning, the names and the attributes of God so that we may know him. We are not called to be clever or creative in referring to God, only faithful and accurate. I was having lunch with a good friend Friday who I've known for 40 years in the motorcycle business. He has played in our praise band, Mike Devlin, and he said, you know what, I've been hearing people talk about the architects, plural, of the universe because they're abandoning the name of the one true God and the identity of the one true God because they don't want to have to be in allegiance to one. They just call them it, the architects of the universe. No, no, that's inadequate. We are living in challenging days, Moeller writes. One of the most pressing challenges of our times is the task of speaking rightly about God. This is particularly challenging when Christians encounter a culture that does not know his name, and so they call God money, architects, whatever. But this really isn't a new challenge. It was the same challenge faced by the children of Israel as they encountered the Canaanites, and the same challenge faced by the Apostle Paul at Mars Hill when he went up onto the Areopagus and he saw that they had a statue for every conceivable God, included one called the unknown God, unless what? They had missed something. It's a challenging time to speak clearly and distinctly the name of Jesus in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as the one and the only God. It's particularly challenging in the most unchurched region in America to be in the one region in America where fewer people attend church and are acquainted with the name of God than anywhere else in America. And do you know where that place happens to be? Reno, Carson City, Nevada. As a recent survey was done. There is no place in America that is less churched than where we live. And that's why it's hard. 
But it's not impossible because we belong to the God of the universe who came in person in the life and death and resurrection of his own son to say, I am the God who died for you. And I rose again. And my name is above every name. We face people in situations like this all the time. So let me ask you, do we know God's name, God's identity so well that it leads us home? that we do not get confused. Is that my house? Is that my house? One of my favorite things when I'm out running and I look really tired, which is a lot of the time, I'll say to people, is my house around here someplace? (laughs) And Doug usually finds me and leads me home. Doug and the dogs. But do we know God's name so well that that it causes us to pause and say, thank you for wanting me. Thank you for making yourself known to me, your name. Thank you for coming to find me and make yourself known. You see, this is why God calls us not to use his name wrongly. To do so, to use God's name wrongly, is to give a wrong address, a wrong phone number, a wrong social security number when we are at our most devastating moment. What, what if at our most devastating moment they ask us where, what our address is and we say 510 East Musser Street? <laughs> you know the address I'm talking about, bud? It's, that's the Carson City Jail. <laughs> what, what if in our confusion we go, well, all the addresses matter, I'll just 510 East Musser, and we end up in jail? Because the only address that matters is the address that God has given us to himself which is Jesus Christ. To whom do you belong? Whose are we? What is our hope and home? We need to know this. And the world around us needs to know this. And there is a lot of very inaccurate information floating around and flying around out there. God knows this. And God gave us the direction so that we would know whose we are. An ancient hymn we don't sing, I don't know if it's even in the hymnal anymore, and even when it is, it only has four verses, or seven verses, and I'm not going to read them all to you, but the first verse is this, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, doesn't say should, it says shall, every tongue confess him, king of glory now, tis the father's pleasure, we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty word. And then the last verse. Brothers, sisters, this Lord Jesus shall return again with his Father's glory and his angel train for all wreaths of empire meet upon his brow and our hearts confess him king of glory now. The name that is above every name. My friends, God has claimed us with the blood of his own son. He has put his mark on us. He has adopted us and wants us to know our true name as his children. Prince, princess, child of the king, Christian. If you don't know this today, come see me. Because God has such a treasure for you. 
And the next time we think a name doesn't mean much, may we hear hear God say, oh yes, it does. You have a new name, God says, and that name is mine. You belong to me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, Savior, King, Redeemer, Comforter, Counselor, thank you that we know you, that you make yourself known to us, and that you shield us from any confusion as we wait upon you. Let your name be seen in us and through us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up. And let us go back over 400 years to timeless words that are as fresh as today. And let us respond to this question. What is required in the third commandment? That we must not profane or abuse the name of God by cursing, by perjury, or by unnecessary oaths. Nor are we to participate in such horrible sins by keeping quiet and thus giving silent consent. In a word, we must not use the holy name of God except with fear and reverence so that he may be rightly confessed and addressed by us and be glorified in all our words and works. May this be so, and may we sing and say every day, his name is wonderful. as we go from this place may that happen and as it does may we realize we go nowhere by accident where we go God is sending us where we are our Lord has a purpose in our being there because Jesus Christ indwells us he has something he wants to do through us where we are may we believe it and therefore go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the love of God the Father in the communion 
and fellowship and equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen. Thank you.